come here to maim you. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Could always use more subscribers there, as well as on Instagram and Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Thanks so much for being part of the TWT tribe. These shows never get easier when you have tribute shows like we've had, and we've had plenty of them throughout the years on TWT with this one. As difficult as the others, as we reflect on the life and times of Scott Hall. Scott Hall, also known as Razor Ramon, part of the NWO, part of WCW, the WWE, and other promotions, passed away on Monday, March 14th. Complications from hip surgery. So sad as Scott Hall, at age 63, was turning his life around after issues with drugs and alcohol and was working with Diamond Dallas Page through DDP Yoga. And then from there, he was helping so many others around professional wrestling, going to autograph shows and so much. But there he was having hip surgery and had several heart attacks and passed away on Monday, March 13th. So in this episode of TWT, we will look back at the life and times of a a great wrestler in Scott Hall. So we start from the beginning of his career with the National Wrestling Alliance back in 1984. Now, he was an ill-fitted tag team with Dan Spivey called the Starships, right? And so it was Hall under the ring name Starship Cody, and Dan Spivey was Starship Eagle. And they were a tag team that was in the Florida Championship Wrestling Territory. They also were in Central States and Kansas City, but that didn't work out well. So I will tell you my experience with Scott Hall. The first time I saw Scott Hall was in the American Wrestling Association. And for many of you listening to me over the years, if you're listening to me for the first time, I was an AWA fan growing up because AWA was based in the Midwest in Minneapolis, St. Paul, but they always had cards in Indiana, in Chicago. So I would go to those frequently. Well, in the AWA, there was a time where the AWA is looking for stars. People sometimes forget that Hulk Hogan started his career and really start his career in a big way in the AWA. Yes, he did spend time in Florida, but the AWA was a spot, just the same as Jesse the Body Ventura and Adrian Adonis and so many others. They were able to get their career jump-started with Vern Gagne's AWA. So in 1985, here comes a guy named Big Scott Hall. That's what he was called at the time. 
And there was a time where he wrestled as Magnum Scott Hall as well, because Scott Hall looked like Tom Selleck. And if you remember the 1980s pop culture television show Magnum P.I., it was about the sexy guy with the, the mullet and the really long mustache. Well, that's what Scott Hall had, and he wrestled as a baby face. And one of the things that Vern Gagne wanted, he was looking for the next Hulk Hogan. And so you saw Scott Hall, the mannerisms were similar to Hogan. He traveled to Japan, uh, wrestling in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So he's getting seasoning while he's in the AWA. Well, he was really a solid wrestler as a single and also as a tag team with Kurt Henning. Many of you know him as Mr. Perfect, who also passed away not too long ago. So Kurt Henning and Scott Hall were a tag team. It was a young upstart like Kurt Henning helping a green but also good-looking Scott Hall, and they made quite the tag team. Here's a highlight from Wrestle Rock 1986. Vern Gagne wanted to have his own version of WrestleMania. So at the Hubert Humphrey Metrodome in 86, April of 86, it was Scott Hall and Kurt Henning taking on the tag team, the Long Riders. A really great house in a stadium, in a dome, to be able to see this contest. Scott Hall against Kurt Henning. At the time, Hall and Henning, the AWA Tag Team Champions. From the Irwins. And he is going to have to get some help. He is in desperate need of a tag now. They've got him in that corner, and they are just pounding away on Kurt Henning. But don't underestimate Henning. A very, very resilient wrestler. He can come back. Watch this now from Wild Bill Irwin. He has Kurt in the center of the ring, and Kurt rolls out of the way. Does he have instinct enough? Very eyes. He looks over, makes the tag with Scott Hall. And in comes Big Scott Hall, the pride of Tampa, Florida. He picks up Wild Bill Irwin, goes to work on the Hog Irwin now. Now he turns his attention to Wild Bill. Now he turns his attention to both of them. Boy, the man from Tampa is wild and ready. And Kurt Henning took one breather, and now he wants a little of his own revenge. Look at it. Flying drop kick here by Kurt Henning. As Irwin was Irish whip across the ring and off the ropes. And Kurt delivers another shot. And a karate shot in a hard right hand. Kurt Hennig working on Wild Bill and then a boot to the hog. And now you have all four men in the ring. Not a thing in the world Buddy Lane can really do in a situation like this. Hennig thrown over the top rope. Buddy Lane didn't see it. Now Wild Bill picked up by Scott Hall. The Hall going to work now on Hall, and out of the ring goes Hall. Up to the top rope, off to my left, you see Kurt Hennig with the flying drop to John Bill Irwin. Hooks the leg, it's the count of one, and two, and three, and it is all over. Wait a minute, look out for Scott Hall. He went out and got that motorcycle boot coming back into the ring. That leg weighted down boot. Oh, and now he has crashed it into both. Kurt Henning and Big Scott Hall. As they called him back then, Big Scott Hall, along with Kurt Henning, the AWA Tag Team Champions. That's the first big show that Scott Hall was involved in at the Metrodome in Minneapolis. Again, Russell Rock was Vern Gagne's version of WrestleMania. And so on a, in a big house, people were able to see Scott Hall and Kurt Henning. As I mentioned, 
Vern Gagne was looking for the next Hulk Hogan, the next draw for the AWA. The AWA still was doing pretty good business in 1986, and it was important for Vern to be able to find that go-to person. Well, he thought he had that in Scott Hall. You can hear Scott Hall where the wheels are turning in his head, right, on this promo he does with Larry Nelson uh, from the Showboat Sports Pavilion in Las Vegas. He gets some time to talk after a match. Listen to a young Scott Hall. Uh, barely a year in the business cutting this promo the winner of the wrestling match Big Scott Hall yes Scott Tom Stone a tough competitor but I've never seen anyone survive that bulldog move of yours well that's right Larry you know I've been real successful with it so far every time I've done it so far it's been one two three and like, like you said Tom Stone's a veteran he's been around for a long time He's a tough competitor. He gave me all I can handle tonight. Let's talk about the AWA series that's coming up, a battle royals across the country. You're one of the obvious favorites because of your size and your strength. Well, I've been real successful in some battle royals in the past. I was fortunate enough to win one in Milwaukee. I won a big one in St. Paul Thanksgiving night. And uh, as you know, that's when all the big money's on the line. Another added incentive to draw some of the top stars from around the country was to include a shot at Nick, Nick Bockwinkle's title belt. And, uh, you know, for me, I see it as a chance to maybe pay back some people who've done me wrong. My partner, Kurt Henning, and myself, as you well know, tag team champions of the world. And now in the Battle Royale, we're going to have a chance to settle some odds. You know, we're looking for a few people. You know who you are. Buddy Rose, you're one. Doug Summers, you're one. The Colonel De Beers, he's one. We're going to have everybody in the match there together. Everybody in one ring. Should be a lot of excitement and a chance for us to settle some old scores. No doubt about that. Big Scott Hall with scores to settle, money to win, and maybe a championship match to look forward to as the AWA Championship Series comes down the road. But, of course, the Battle Royal, the most dangerous event in wrestling. And, Scott, good luck. Thank you, Scott Hall. More action coming your way right after this. Scott Hall with Larry Nelson. And so Colonel De Beers and Scott Hall. It's funny that Scott mentioned Colonel De Beers because that was a rivalry at one point in 1986. Now remember, Scott Hall looks great. He looks the part, but he's still so young in the business. Barely, not even two years in the business. And he's in these high-profile matchups. This one against uh, apartheid, uh, I guess, someone who... Uh, does not mind apartheid, someone that uh, <laughs> that was uh, supposed to be a South African, but he was not, uh, Colonel De Beers. So Colonel De Beers is there, and he's showing videotapes, right? He's showing on the AWA broadcast um, that he believes that Scott Hall is pumped with steroids, right? That's the accusation. The angle is, is that Colonel De Beers doesn't feel like he's got to wrestle Scott Hall because Scott Hall is pumped with steroids, and so he's showing Larry Nelson this footage, and of course Scott Hall responds afterwards. Ended the career of Scott Hall not all that long ago. 
I saw nothing in those tapes that leads me to believe Scott Hall uses steroids. Listen, steroids can increase the size of your bicep, but not your brain. The man is obviously out of control. He doesn't know where he's going or where he's been. He attacks me for no reason. That in itself should be enough proof. Buckwinkle, I deserve the championship shot. These abuse of Colonel DeBeers, not the views of this station of the AWA. Now let's go to Scott Hall. You know, I am sick and tired of hearing this Colonel DeBeers from South Africa come out here and slander Scott Hall, accusing me of taking anabolic steroids. I want to clear the air right now. I am not taking steroids. I have never taken steroids. I built this body from scratch with a lot of hard work, a lot of fire, and a lot of desire. Now, obviously, he brings some tapes out here. What does that prove? He handpicks some segments from tapes, brings them out here as proof. The only thing I saw on those tapes was Colonel DeBeer scooting from the ring. He wants no part of Scott Hall. Now, he claims that all this aggression, all this anger that's inside of me was brought on by steroids. Well, soldier boy, you know in the back of your mind why I got this fire burning inside of me, why I'm a little bit out of control. Just think back to what you've done to me. You cost me everything. I went from the penthouse to the outhouse, and I'm holding you responsible. Scott Hall saying, I'm not on steroids to Colonel De Beers in the AWA. So after his time in the AWA, where he is a tag team champion where Kurt Henning and he took on teams like the Long Riders, you just heard Bill and Scott Irwin, he took on uh, Nord the Barbarian and Boris Zukov and Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. Now, they had some really great matches, as well as Jimmy Garvin against Steven Regal. It was really, really solid, some of the matches he had as a tag team wrestler. But Ganya really wanted to put the championship on Hall. But unfortunately, the AWA was not going in the right direction. And so Scott Hall decided to leave and go elsewhere. As I mentioned, he spent some time in New Japan and also in Memphis, of course. <laughs> you, you cannot be a top wrestler without going through the Memphis territory at some point. Everyone went through the Memphis territory, including Scott Hall. Here's Lance Russell, the voice of Memphis wrestling, talking to Scott Hall in 1987. Before they get it, we want to talk to uh, not only the Bruce Brothers, but we want to bring Scott Hall out here. Because we saw him a little bit earlier, but we really didn't officially get an opportunity to talk to him. Scott, slide on in here, buddy. We're delighted to have you right here with us from Orlando, Florida. And I know you've been up to traveling and around a lot of different places. How things been going? Well, I'll tell you, I just got back from Japan last week. I had a really successful month-long tour over there. And, you know... 88's just right around the corner, New Year coming our way, and it's not by mistake that you see a lot of the top names in the wrestling profession, everybody seems to be descending on the mid-southern area, I just want to add my name to the list, I think that all the fans in the area, all the fans watched on TV are in for a real big treat in 88. Listen, uh, just to bring up something that happened a little bit earlier for the folks who saw it, they'll know what I'm talking about, well, we'll tell you folks about it later on that didn't see it. Uh, Nate uh, Whitlock was out here and of course Nate is Bobby Hangman Bobby Jaggers uh, manager and Jaggers I know you know of Jaggers reputation and all but he's saying boy if Bobby Jaggers would have been here you wouldn't have done that to me <laughs> he was really well, you know, I, I have a, my view on, on managers and ballets and all that I believe you know they have their part maybe behind the scenes I don't really think managers should be involved in matches directly 
But if a guy wants to run his mouth, take up valuable television time, the fans at home, all the fans here came to see wrestling. Am I right or wrong? some little jerk running his mouth making idle threats now bobby jaggers i know all about you your reputation precedes itself but you know you don't have to talk to some little weasel like that if you want a piece of scott hall i'm easy to find i'm six foot six i'm nearly 300 pounds you can't miss me when you walk in the building so if you want a piece of me i'm easy to find okay good luck boy it's good to have you here too i want to tell you that Uh, one of the members of the commission king kyle fergie set to go Against, from Orlando, Florida, 292 pounds, Big Scott Hall. In the corner of King Carl Fergie, it's the Prince, also known as Brickhouse Brown, and the court jester, downtown Bruno. King Carl Fergie. He's out here wearing a crown, claiming to be the true king. him around the ring pretty good, huh? I recognize the voice downtown, Bruno. <laughs> yeah. Scott Hall backed into a corner. King Carl Fergie really working on him with a fist in the boot. Boy, look at this. Big Scott Hall. It's an open hand. He builds him out of the corner. King Carl Fergie, a little slow, popping back up on his feet. Oh, the Prince started into the ring. Scott Hall grabbed him. Bruno trying to get him out. Look out, here comes the mighty Goliath. And Superstar Bubba, this match is over. It's going to be a disqualification. But the two big guys both beating up on big Scott Hall. Carl Fergie trying to get in a lick or two. Mighty Goliath. is going to be in his first appearance on championship wrestling big scott hall don't forget to check out my instagram or twitter at wrestling twt that's wrestling twt for the best in merchandise yes merchandise for tuesday wrestling tuesday you know there's going to be shows in your area so I want you to go, whether it's the WWE, AEW, independent shows, New Japan. When there is a show, I want you to be wearing the gear for the podcast you listen to, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. T-shirts, hoodies, caps, it's all there. And also, drinkware. Oh, yes, the tumblers, the glasses, it's all there. Check it out in my Instagram link or my Twitter link at WrestlingTWT. Look around, see if there's something for you. A special sale is going to take place uh, for March Madness for you, the wrestling fan. I just want you to represent the show that you listen to the most, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, our podcast. So there it is. Scott Hall spent some time in Memphis, and that matchup he took on... um, Carl Fergie, who actually is the cousin of Jerry the King Lawler. He was going as King Fergie at that time. So Scott Hall in his first match, it was a minute five, as you just heard right there. And that was his qualification. So he spent a little time in Memphis. He actually had a tryout with WWE in 1987. 
and he took on Paul Roma and was defeated in that matchup in Fort Myers, Florida. That match is on YouTube. You have to search it out, but it is on YouTube. There's no audio for it, so I can't play the audio. There's no Gorilla Monsoon or no Bobby Heenan calling the match, but that match is available. It was part of Wrestling Challenge, one of the syndicated shows for the WWF at the time. So because it didn't work out for him the first time in the WWE as he lost against Paul Roma, well, there's a matchup. Uh, that he has in World Championship Wrestling because he tried, right? He tried to figure out, okay, if the AWA is not working, if Memphis isn't working, if the WWE doesn't want me, then I'm going to go to WCW. And that's where he went in 1989 as he went as the Diamond Stud. So this is Jim Ross, who was part of WCW at that time, trying to find new stars, including those uh, like Brian Pillman and... Sid Vicious and so many others. And so Jim Ross brought in Scott Hall and he was named the Diamond Stud. Now, let me just tell you where I am in my fandom at this time before we hear a match with the Diamond Stud. So as I mentioned, I grew up as an AWA fan. I watched Scott Hall and then he was on AWA TV. He was done in 87. He disappeared. I'm like, wow, this guy was taking on Rick Martell and Stan Hansen for the AWA World Championship, and then he just disappeared. That's how it was back in the day. You wouldn't know where the wrestlers go. You can't. There was no internet to be able to find the next territory where a wrestler would be. You checked the magazines back then, but you didn't know. If a wrestler was in the territory, he disappeared. You don't know what happened to him, right? Unless he showed up on big-time TV like WCW. So when I saw the Diamond Stud, I did not put two and two together. I'm a junior in high school in 1989, and I'm like, Diamond Stud, oh, this guy's a big guy, and he's kind of put together. It took me a while to understand the difference between Scott Hall and the Diamond Stud, and the reason why is because no dirt sheets, you know, uh, no magazines is going to... The magazines back then were kayfabe as well. So it took me a while to realize, wait a minute, when this guy speaks, he sounds like Scott Hall because it is Scott Hall, a totally different guy. No perm. His hair was black. It was slicked back. No cheesy mustache. He was clean shaven, had a little bit of a beard every now and then. But the Diamond Stud and Scott Hall are two different people. We learned that watching WCW. The Diamond Stud, Scott Hall, was managed by Diamond Dallas Page. And his first match was against former NWA champion, Wildfire Tommy Rich. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest on Clash of the Champions, it is set for one fall. Introducing first, ladies and gentlemen, accompanied by the chairman of the board of the Diamond Exchange, Diamond Dallas Page. From Florida, he weighs 298 pounds, the Diamond Stud. His opponent from Atlanta, Georgia, Wildfire, Tommy Rich. Diamond Dallas Page. That's right, Diamond Dallas Page here with my latest acquisition, the Diamond Stud. Where's that girl? Where's that girl who applied for the job? Come on up here, Toots. You might notice I don't have one of my diamond dolls here tonight. Well, there's a reason for that. We're searching across the country and around the world looking for a stud at. And this babe here thinks she's got what it takes. Are you ready to peel the real deal, baby? Well, let's see what you got. Good God! 
Come your way. No matter what bites this guy, you were wonderful. You were marvelous, baby, but see ya. The gimmick back then was Diamond Dallas Page would be looking for what he mentioned is a lady to come to the ring. This was a gimmick in not only in WCW, but also in the WWE at the time with Rick Rude. Um, and with this situation, the way that uh, the Diamond Stud was dressed is one of these outfits in which if you just grab at the waist, you could tear off the clothes of the wrestler, kind of like tear off pants uh, for N- NBA um, players, but in this situation here with Diamond Stud, they had women come out of the arena, coming out of their chairs, come up inside the ring, take uh, uh, their fingers and pull at the pants and the outfit of the Diamond Stud, and it was a tearaway pair of pants or a tearaway clothing, so that way the Diamond Stud would be into his tights. And so this was a gimmick for a while here where women would just come there, they pick them out of the crowd, and they just pull at the pants of uh, Diamond Stud. So as I mentioned, here's Diamond Stud taking on Tommy Rich on the Clash of Champions, Jim Ross, and Tony Schiavone on the call. Carrying any excess baggage. He's quite a fine for Diamond Dallas Page to go along with uh, the United States Tag Team Champions, the fabulous Freebirds. And their mass partner, Bad Street. What an entourage. Big man showing great agility. And Tommy Rich, the veteran and former world's heavyweight champion, pulled up his knees. And now Tommy showing his, his fire. He's got it. That's why they call him Wildfire. Tommy went for a crossbody press. The diamond stuff too quick and moved out of the way. A lot of quickness for that big guy. Now, Diamond Dallas Page is saying DDD, which is a diamond death drop, and it is awesome if he executes it right here. On his shoulders and drives him down. The diamond death drop and the diamond stud remains undefeated. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your winner, the diamond stud. All right, fans, Jim Ross making his way over. He's going to talk to the winner of our sting lookalike contest. DDD, diamond death drop. Look at the execution. He keeps his head forward and his eyes straight out and drives the shoulders and the neck right down. So after some time in WCW as a diamond stud, it just didn't quite get over. So he was there for a few years and then finally made his return to the WWE. But not as Scott Hall, but as Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon, a shady and stylish Cuban-American bully from Miami. And apparently, Scott Hall was doing a good Tony Montana impersonation. And he did that for Vince McMahon. And Vince was really impressed. And all of a sudden, the character from the 1983 Scarface, say hello to my little friend, all this say hello to the bad guy, all these Montana quotes, right? Say hello to my little friend, say goodnight to the bad guy. All of those phrases came from the movie Scarface. And Razor Ramon was doing uh, pretty much a Tony Montana impression. And of course, back in those days of the WWF at the time, the 90s, produced by Bruce Pritchard and others, had, you had to have these vignettes, right? When they were bringing someone in, you had to have a vignette. And so they had a number of them to get people excited for Razor Ramon. Scott Hall was a diamond stud, and now he's Razor Ramon. Here's Vince McMahon. We take you now, ladies and gentlemen, 
The streets of America are paved with gold. Here is Razor Ramon. Ramon. Razor Ramon. I come from the gutter. I know that. I got no education. Who needs it? Look at me. Look at me. Look at the gold. Look at my clothes. I'm a success. I'm coming to the WWF. All I want is what I got coming to me. The world, chico. Everything in it. Check my ride, man. It's a Cadillac, man. Custom made for razor. You know, Chico, 90 miles away, they're living like pigs. They're living in squalor, man. They're eating garbage. People telling them what to do. Nobody telling Razor Ramon what to do, man. Nobody. I coming to the WWF. Nobody going to stop me. Nobody going to tell Razor Ramon what to do. El Jefe. Razor Flamon. Miami, Florida. Well, take a look at this.
Razor's Edge does in Paul Van Dale. That was the first opponent. That, you just heard the first match for Razor Ramon in the WWE in August of 1992. Paul Van Dale. Just think he's a jobber, right? Well, Paul Van Dale lost in less than four minutes. Paul Van Dale, also the father of the WWE's Carmella. So Carmella, the one that... Uh, says that she has the you know the face of the WWE or you know the perfect body the perfect face for the WWE Carmelo's father Paul Van Dale lost in Razor Ramon's debut <laughs> there's connectivity there in the WWE I will tell you as a fan I did not like those vignettes because I already saw the diamond stud in the WCW, and then he comes to WWE, and I just thought, especially in 2022, when you look back at that, it's like, boy, those vignettes were not good, and that and that Spanish accent wasn't very good either. <laughs> it, just, it wasn't. But despite the characters, and this is how I was able to view WWF wrestling at the time, despite the, the change of names or the type of characters that Vince McMahon wanted in his toy box as a promoter you could not deny how good the wrestling was especially in the big events you cannot deny the wrestling ability and razor ramon really got on the map in the wwe when he took on Shawn michaels in a ladder match the standard today no matter how many ladder matches that you've seen 
It started with Shawn Michaels against Razor Ramon, where they're both Intercontinental Champions somehow, and they both have to climb up and get the championships to decide who's going to be the true, undisputed Intercontinental Champion. So Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon were going around the loop, going around the loop, and they were having ladder matches, not just on pay-per-view like that one you just heard from SummerSlam, but also at WrestleMania and, of course, a lot of other places. They had to practice these ladder matches. Small arenas, big arenas, they were practicing and making sure that these ladder matches were excellent for you and I, the wrestling fan. I know that Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon were... Side by side, watching in the Stanford Studios, the historic WrestleMania 10 ladder match that they had in which Razor Ramon won that one. You heard Shawn Michaels win in SummerSlam. What about the matchup with Razor Ramon uh, defeating Shawn Michaels in a ladder match? Let's go back and listen to that and hear from Scott Hall and also Shawn Michaels reminiscing. I'll second that. What I thought was so cool about going into this is we had two belts because you had never been beaten. I won the Battle Royal in a 
other tournament things. So we both had claims to the belt. Although I always always acknowledge that you never lost it. Yeah, no, well, and of course the as some people may know, and if you don't know, I'm about to tell you. Um, the reason I still had the belt is because I had gotten in a little bit of trouble <laughs> and was asked to give the belt back, and I uh, I refused. So I, <laughs> I, and I just kept my belt, and that was that. So when I did come back to work, and when I got out of trouble, I came back with the belt. And after that, we just thought, hey, this has got the perfect makings for. It, it's crazy how sometimes things happen by accident. Art imitating life. Again, this was sort of something that had been done, but we didn't know how that was going to come across from a pay-per-view standpoint. This was a big sort of uh, maiden voyage yeah. for this, this match altogether. I was just looking at us. Wow, are we young and in shape? Oh my goodness! You know, we, and all that hair. We, <laughs> lots of hair, which is no longer there, my friends. Some of it's there. It's all on my back. <laughs> yeah, me too. Back and ears. You get older, it goes in your back and your ears. Sorry, ladies. So we had a couple of these ladder matches out on the road and stuff yeah. like that, and so we had. You know, but you're trying different things, all these different, yeah. you know, ideas. So you're just sort of drawing bits and pieces. And again, you pick up a ladder, you see he's bent over. And I'll see it, stuff like that. I'm just winging it and tossing it at him. And, and it and, worked. And the people went, wow, yeah. like, he's just being reckless, you know. And it was, yeah. it was good. Shawn Michaels from high above. Oh! Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I always love that overhead shot they go to once in a while. It's like yeah. a crime scene. No, wait, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. So this is where logically it doesn't make any sense. Because even the announcers go, well, he's going to climb the ladder. It's over now. And I'm right. thinking, no, he's been whipping my butt with that ladder. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm getting, I'm getting, getting mine. <laughs> Because there was a little confusion, I remember, in the audience, they kind of went, what? And then they went, oh, yeah, smash them. And the funny part, too, a lot of people don't know, now at every show, there's ladders and chairs and candlesticks. There was one ladder in that building. It's right there. Yeah. If we'd have bent that ladder or broke it, we'd still be standing yeah. there. <laughs> look it up. Like, no, and that's what happened, too, right? They did, we didn't, it's funny. You don't, you, know, you don't know enough to know what you don't know, right? Yeah. I don't know what year was, it was. Somebody and somebody else. There was else no was spare ladder. The only time we had two ladders was the rematch at SummerSlam. Right. And that got a pop. Ooh, another ladder. And that's because we knew we were using two ladders. <laughs> you know, there was never even the thought of what if yeah, something what if, happens. Yeah, what if something goes wrong? What if it breaks? Like, what if something goes wrong? What do you mean? What could go wrong? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, look how it bent there. I mean, yeah. it, it could have easily, like, snapped or it wouldn't stand up. And, and we'd be like... The bottom line is what makes it special, the reason why it transcends everything else and has become what it's become, is the authenticity of everything. The one thing I, I remember most, I mean, obviously this was so great, Randy and Crush were after us. Yeah. I remember coming back in the locker room and Randy went, I want to say great match, but I want to say you're very, very selfish. <laughs> and I remember yeah. saying like, Thanks, and you're right. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, sorry, sorry, Mach. Yeah. Once you get in there, boy, it, that's the, that's the calmest you feel. You know, Sean and I had wrestled in Central States Championship Wrestling yeah. in Kansas City, like in front of 50 people. 
So to be in front of a sold-out Madison Square Garden crowd, that's what we that's what yeah. you dream about when you're a kid trying to break in. And yeah. I never grasped the enormity of that stuff until after it was over with. And that was helpful because had I, I'd have probably, you know, panicked. There's two iconic photos that are around from this match. One is you splashing me. Mm -hmm. That's everywhere. Yeah. So I'm at signings, and I sign that, and I always go, Do you, you know I won that match, right? Sean's <laughs> <laughs> like flying down. Yeah. And the other one is me on top of the ladder oh. with the two belts. Yeah. I make a living off signing these photos, and it's because, all because of you. I want to thank y'all. We hope you've enjoyed this uh, little trip down memory lane. With we, as much as we have. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing throws us more than sit there and watch ourselves. Yeah, and we'll see you in 25 years more. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you got it. Thank you for watching WWE Playback. We'll see you. Don't forget to check the YouTube, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you have not subscribed, check it out. You get clips uh, from... Professional wrestling for AEW, for WWE, and everything else on YouTube, youtube.com. Uh, also, special interviews that I've done as well. Check it out on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button and be part of the TWT tribe on YouTube. Great to be able to hear from Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, and Shawn Michaels on a WWE special when they look back at their uh, ladder match. So, two ladder matches here. One, a ladder match that took place at WrestleMania 10. People still talk about it. And, of course, the follow-up at SummerSlam as well. Now, you're probably wondering, ladder match, where did this all come from, right? Bruce Pritchard, on Something to Wrestle With with Bruce Pritchard, the podcast that Pritchard does with Conrad Thompson. It's revealed on how this match even took place. You heard from Shawn Michaels there talking about how he was in trouble uh, with the office, with the WWE, and he had left. They told him to give up the championship. He would not drop the championship. So he was allowed to go away with the championship while Razor Ramon was the Intercontinental Champion. So it was champion versus champion. So there was a lot of issues with Shawn Michaels because he had an attitude and he was a, an asshole and he was not great uh, to the offices back then. And so Bruce Pritchard explains the whole origin of this ladder match. Whose idea was it? Listen. And uh, through January, he starts working house shows again with Shawn Michaels. So Shawn's back in the fold. How did you guys talk Shawn into coming back? Who makes the call? Um, what's that situation like with Shawn and his return? Pat was making a lot of calls and Vince was making a lot of calls. And they finally... You know, agreed to disagree, and Sean agreed to come back. And it was a lot of it was due to Pat, Pat and I just really pushing for the fact that Sean never lost the Intercontinental Championship. So we have a guy that has a claim to the Intercontinental Championship, having never lost it. And you've got Razor, who is the champion and on TV right now. So we had this idea that God, can we just you know? Everybody agreed to disagree, and let's can't we all just get along and bring Sean back and do this? I'm the champion. No, I'm the champion. Uh, issue to get to WrestleMania, where eventually that was where we kind of always wanted to end up, just to have the blow off for their match way back when. 
So finally, Vince, you know, whatever agreement they came up with, I have no idea, but we, Pat and I were happy that we finally got to play out our angle of champion versus champion. Well, on the way there, you guys first do a ladder match on January 14th in San Jose. Uh, this is the first Razor Sean ladder match. Razor wins and retains the title, and they wrestle a ladder match two days later in Richfield, Ohio. So they're starting to kind of work the bugs out. Who is the the first guy to think of, hey, we need to have this thing be a ladder match? Do you remember who pitched that? I know over the years, you know, Brett has said that he and Sean were the first to do it, and, and he felt like he, you know, had his contribution kind of whitewashed by the WWE because the Razor-Sean ladder match at WrestleMania is the one that's considered the gold standard in the WWE. It, the latter match 100% was Bret Hart's idea. And Bret and Sean did have the first ladder match. And it was a classic. It was excellent. It's for the Intercontinental Championship. And we, we did it in a house show. It, it had never been done on pay-per-view at this point. So Pat had seen it. Pat loved, loved the idea of the ladder match. The fact that we had two title belts and two guys laying claim to the championship was how we got to the ladder match. Let's go ahead and put the two the two championship belts high above the ring. Whoever gets them, you know, they will be the rightful intercontinental champion. So it was just a kind of a logical conclusion to deciding these two guys laying claim. They each had their own belt. Whoever ends up with both both belts at the end of the ladder match is going to be the true champion. So yes, um we stole Brett's idea to use it for a match at WrestleMania, but good God, man, it became Sean's, Sean's signature there for a long time. Uh, well, let's talk about... Um... Brett Hart is the reason why we are able to see those classic ladder matches between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. How about that? There is some knowledge for you coming from Bruce Pritchard from Something to Wrestle With with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, of course, still works behind the scenes of the WWE for uh, Vince McMahon and Titan Sports. How about that? Razor Ramon in this era had so much charisma. We continue to hear people say that Razor Ramon was one of the first that even though he was a heel, he was cheered. Even though he was a heel, he was a babyface. And so didn't matter if he was facing Shawn Michaels or Owen Hart or Jeff Jarrett or Savio Vega in that era, Erwin R. Scheister or whomever he would take on, including Shawn Michaels. There was cheers for Razor Ramon. And he was both heel and babyface uh, in the WWE for this iteration going into the early 90s. So because he had this bad boy image and, sh and the world was changing in the 90s too because what was bad was good the bad boys of the detroit pistons they were called the bad boys but a lot of people liked it because they were dirty because they were cheap shot guys they would cheap shot the bulls and so whatever bad was good and i don't know if the ww is ready for that but definitely razor ramon was a guy that had so much charisma and so many guys grew up watching him and thought that he was it, right? That he was so cool. And actually, even more so than him wearing gold chains and having a golden razor to pretty much denote that he 
you know, chops up cocaine with his razor. Um, the point is, is that there are so many fans that respected the in-ring work of Razor Ramon at that time. So he was terrific. Now, let's fast forward to the click, because even though Razor Ramon was one of the best Intercontinental Champions that the company's ever seen, he associated with a backstage group known as the Click. That was Kevin Nash, and Kevin Nash, just like um, Scott Hall, was fledgling in WCW trying to find his way. But Kevin Nash, who was Diesel at the time, Paul Levesque, and Paul Levesque, of course, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, he was Triple H, um, Shawn Michaels, and Shawn Waltman. They were part of the Click, and they were involved all four of these gentlemen, Waltman, Michaels, Levesque, Nash, and you could throw Hall in there as well. That makes five. They were all in, in, kind of involved in an incident dubbed as the Curtain Call at Madison Square Garden. And so many people were there because Madison Square Garden meant so much. It still means a lot to Vince McMahon because this was the home for his dad. When Vince McMahon Sr. was running the promotion and when the WWE was a Northeast promotion, the hub of the company was Madison Square Garden. They'd have shows monthly at MSG. And so it means a lot still to the WWE. So unfortunately, the Click took a dump on Madison Square Garden because Hall and fellow Click member Kevin Nash were departing to go to WCW. And Michaels and also Triple H, they all broke kayfabe by celebrating and embracing in the ring with one another. Even though the characters are supposed to be betrayed as enemies, right? In this situation, uh, it was supposed to be uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And they were taking on... Michaels and Triple H, and they're supposed to be against one another, but yet they all hugged in the middle of the ring, and it confused the audience because they're breaking kayfabe. Even during that time, people thought, okay, well, these people really are against one another, right? And yet they were embracing each other in the ring. They broke character, and so <laughs> Vince McMahon was not happy with that. Jim Cornette, Dutch Mantel, so many people that were in the back, including Bruce Pritchard, were like, what the hell's going on here? These guys are supposed to act like they are against each other when they are in a match, and they are, but yet they're hugging at Madison Square Garden. Well, that was a no-no in a big way. And of course, Scott Hall and went, and then Kevin Nash went, they all went to WCW. And when Scott Hall got there, the mood was about to change in all of professional wrestling. The Nitro on TNT, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. And we are taking a look at the mauler completely maul his opponent, Steve Dahl. Well, you know, Steve, Steve Dahl was trying to get an offensive going. Wait a minute. But, but what the hell but is what? going on here? But the mauler, well, he just got reversed right there. The mauler runs him down. What are you talking about? Look, look here. I have no idea. Wait a minute. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm saying. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Where is Billionaire Ted? Where is the Nacho Man? That punk 
can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want, whenever I want. Listen to me. And where, oh where, is Scheme G? Because I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll lookalike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him. For Billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. What about the match? I don't know what to say. Randy Anderson's coming. Randy? Randy, what's going on here? What about the match, Randy? What what what's going The match is match fans, we gotta go to a break. I, the match left! I have no idea what to say. Say with us. The only way to do that is you gotta kick people's butts. You gotta make enemies. Alright, alright, alright. Hey, looky here. You wanted to Kindle, you got such a big mouth. And we, we are sick of it. What do you mean, who's me? You know who. Hey, this is where the big boys play? What a joke. I tell you what. You go tell billionaire Ted, you tell him, get three of his very, very best. Maybe, uh, maybe the Nacho Man. Oh, no. And maybe, maybe you get the Stinger. Ooh, I'm so scared. You gonna get anybody you want. Because we... What do you mean we? We are taking over. You want to go to war? You want a war? You got one. Only, only let's do it right. In the ring, where it matters. Not on no microphones. Not in no newspapers or dirt sheets. Let's do it in the ring, where it matters. If uh, if billionaire Ted and his big boys, if they got any uh, any guts, because we are coming down here, You're stepping over the line, and like it or not, not we are taking over. Talk, but where's the walk? What? I'm here. Where is it? You've been sitting out here for six months running your mouth. 
This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. We ain't here to play. Now, he said last week that he was going to bring somebody out here. I'm here. You still don't have your three people. And you know why? Because nobody wants to face us. This show's about as interesting as Marge Schott reading excerpts from Mein Kampf. Yeah, no trouble because you know I'll kick your teeth down your throat. Where's your three guys? You what, you couldn't get a paleontologist to get a couple of these fossils cleared? You ain't got enough guys off a dialysis machine to get a team? Yeah, where's Hogan? Where's Hogan? Out doing another episode of Blunder in Paradise? Where's the macho man, huh? Doing some Slim Jim commercial? Hey, we're here. You want to say something? Look, I don't have the authority right here, right now. You want to fight? Fight is it with me. You want three guys? Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'll be in the offices of WCW. I'll try and get you your fight. And you know what? Live this Sunday in Baltimore, Great American Bash. You guys want to show up? You want to fight? You show up. I'll see if I can get you your fight. I don't know about you, but hey, they love us in Baltimore. Hey, hey big man, I say me and you, we'd be at the Bash. Maybe these punks want to fight. Yeah. I'll be there. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. The mood changed. Boy, it was such big television. You think it was a rivalry between AEW and the WWE now in 2022? It was nothing like it in the 90s. And I was all about it. I was doing and hosting WrestleManiacs uh, on sports radio in Chicago at that time when you had Nitro against Raw every Monday night. And it was must watch for both shows as they were both developing. They both, they, both companies made each other better because of the competition. But to see two strong members of the WWE and Hall and Nash going over to WCW was just unbelievable under the tutelage of Eric Bischoff at that time for Nitro. You just heard right there. You heard Scott Hall coming out of nowhere in the middle of a match and doing a promo. And then to be able to have Kevin Nash also confront Eric Bischoff, great television at the time uh, for Money Nitro on TNT. And on top of that, I mentioned before that no matter if Scott Hall was a babyface or a heel, he was cheered, right? So this is the era of the cool heels. When heels used to be always booed, there would never be cheers, very few cheers for the bad guy. Well, the bad guys actually became the babyfaces in WCW, and they had the most memorable vignettes still in 2022, the, mo- the best vignettes happened in the 90s involving the NWO. 
especially when Hulk Hogan wasn't always, let me tell you something, brother, the vitamins, the, the, you know, all the stuff that he used to talk about to try to appeal to kids. Well, this is a whole different Hulk Hogan as he's with Holland Nash in one of their first vignettes for WCW. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. vignettes that the NWO did it was so unique they were shot in black and white and it just brought out the personality of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall they were not your usual promos it was just guys just talking and just the odd camera angles and just filmed in black and white it was just completely different than anything we saw in professional wrestling and it was really well done by uh, those that put that together in WCW, including Eric Bischoff, just totally different. So think about what you've heard so far. You've heard Big Scott Hall. You heard him in the AWA and in Memphis. You heard the highlight of him beating the NWA champion from 10 years prior and Tommy Rich. He was able to go to be Razor Ramon and really have his stardom really in a great way in the WWE as Razor Ramon. And then he goes from the WWE to WCW. And the angle for the NWO was just amazing. And there's nothing 
against Degeneration X, but boy, the NWA was just amazing. New World Order was, and they're still selling merchandise in Japan, by the way, for NWO stuff, which is amazing. In, in 2022, there's still NWO merchandise that's being sold because it started with Scott Hall. Remember, it started with him, Scott Hall, then Kevin Nash, and then Hulk Hogan, and then it grew into something big for a, almost a two-year stretch. Well, before we talk about uh, the TNA version of Scott Hall. We'll hear from Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer, a wrestling historian that talked about the personal life of Scott Hall and then kind of delves into the career of Scott Hall right here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with me, Jonathan Hood. Here's Dave Meltzer. Before he ever got into wrestling, he was involved in like a a bar fight that ended up with a shooting that I guess it was self-defense, but the other guy ended up dead and and um he had a tough time with that and you know obviously you know his stories of his uh you know drinking problems and and um substance abuse problems are very well known and went on for a long long time and in many ways um i mean he had a a very memorable career and a very notable career in pro wrestling but obviously would have had a even more notable career um if if those issues didn't happen, I mean, he had a real, he had real star power. And, um, you know, obviously as far as the, uh, you know, the, you know, he, he started, he was a wrestling fan from childhood and, uh, used to go to see the matches in Orlando, uh, with Ed Gantner, who was a wrestler who also passed away very young, uh, from suicide. And, um, they were buddies and, uh, you know, they'd go to the Florida championship wrestling floor shows with Dusty Rhodes and everything like that when they were growing up. Um, he was, Scott was a year older than me. So he's just, uh, he's 60, he's 63 and then, um, broke into the business. The first I recall was the, them, Scott Hall and Danny Spivey, who was also from the area as, uh, uh, the American Starship uh, for a brief period of time they were super 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 green he went to a couple of other territories uh, AWA was where he got his first real push as Magnum Scott Hall kind of a takeoff on Magnum um, TA or maybe on Tom Selleck um, Magnum PI Magnum Magnum PI no well, Magnum TA came first I mean Magnum PI obviously Magnum TA came from Magnum PI and Scott Hall came from whether it was Magnum PI or Magnum TA, um, whatever. You know what I mean? Like it was it was kind of cheesy because there was already a Magnum TA before Scott Hall. They tried to call him um, Magnum Scott Hall um, and everything like that off of that. And then um, made him a tag team with uh, Kurt Hennig with Kurt. Kurt's role was basically to teach him the ropes. And Scott was being groomed to be the next Hulk Hogan in the AWA which he was not ready for at the time. And the AWA could not produce another Hulk Hogan because they were no longer in the position, you know, of uh, power in their market to do so. So he was there for a couple of years and um, it, he never got to the position that, that Vern hoped he would get to. And then wrestled, you know, a lot of New Japan and WCW's Diamond Stud, kind of floundered around, you know, he was in the business, but... Uh, didn't really get another big push. And then he left WCW to go to WF with the Razor Ramon character. And that's where, you know, they immediately feuded him with Macho Man. And uh, 
he beat Macho Man and all the house shows. So he was up and running. He was a big star there. And um, him and Kevin Nash pretty much left together and uh, to go to WCW, which was the a major turning point in wrestling history in a lot of ways. Um, the Monday Night Wars. I mean, it was uh, WCW and WWF on Mondays were kind of going back and forth. They were pretty even. And then uh, WCW uh, went to two hours, which was more beneficial than a one-hour show. Uh, WWE was also was one hour at the time. So that was a benefit. And then Scott came in, and then Kevin Nash came in very soon after. And then the Nitro ratings, uh, you know, picked up, and they had an, a big run for several years, obviously, with the Outsiders and the NWO with Hulk Hogan and Sean Waltman and, and half the world. Um, Scott was a key, key part of that. And, um, you know, he his, his issues got really bad in the WCW days. He probably would have had a real good run in WWF, but the same thing surfaced again. Um, you know, he was, um, you know, he's really, you know, they were grooming the NWO for a big thing there. And it just kind of, it didn't happen for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know, Scott was in TNA very often, um, and, uh, you know, same situation. And he, you know, he was with DDP trying to get cleaned up, um, you know, was, you know, not, um, I mean, at, at times it would work at times it wouldn't work. Um, and, uh, he broke his hip just the other day and um went in for surgery and um yeah that was what happened very uh very sad story um you know um a lot of you know a lot of potential i feel really bad for you know obviously he had a lot of friends in wrestling he had a very good rep when he was straight for being very very sharp when it came to wrestling as far as like a lot of little tricks and a lot of things i know a lot of guys would come to him for advice in, in the wcw days as far as kind of things like just kind of working the camera, things like that, you know, um, not like technical wrestling moves or anything like that, but he was really good at that. They would um, come to him, you know, as far as like uh, angle ideas and everything like that. I've seen him at different places giving people advice, you know, a lot of young guys um, at different shows, you know, trying to break in, get into WWE, get into well, then it was only WWE by that time because there was nothing else all that important, although uh, that obviously changed. But, um, yeah, so it's a um, very sad story. And um, I want to send my sympathies to his friends and his family. And um, that's, um, you know, it's always, it's, yeah, it's just... Um, I don't know what else to say, really, but, um, you know, a lot of got a lot of memories of him, obviously, uh, not all, you know, the they they run from very good to not so good. But, um, you know, the uh, you know, it was very charismatic uh, wrestler, um, very important, very, very important in that 90s wrestling war um, and. uh and that's, you know, he'll probably be best remembered for those, that NWO run, which, you know, it was, it was a, a legendary run. It, 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 uh, for a couple of years there, it was, it was gigantic and wrestling was never bigger, you know, than that period. And he was a major, major player in that period of building wrestling up to a point where it was the biggest it's been in, in 
in my lifetime and probably the biggest that I, I don't see it ever getting for a lot of reasons. I don't see it ever getting that big again. Hey, yo. 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 You gotta agree that being in Baltimore over the holidays is just too. I'm with you. Now you probably heard by now that right at NWO Central, we got a little survey going on. Yeah, but you don't have a TV show now, do you? <laughs> and it's real, real simple. You're either with us. Or you're against us. So, how many people here in Baltimore came to see WCW? What a tremendous run for Scott Hall in WCW. It's hard to say where was the better run, the NWO with the World Championship Wrestling Crew or Razor Ramon in the WWE. Well, either way, he will always be remembered. He also spent time in TNA, Told Not Stop Action, which is now Impact Wrestling, as you well know. And he had some really memorable matches there, including against Jeff Jarrett. For the NWA TNA Championship. Man, what a crazy time. <laughs> There's Jeff Jarrett against Scott Hall in a matchup. Listen. He has got to capitalize here. Jeff, keep your eye on the He's prize. Distracted. Ignore Toby Keith. That's yeah. why he's here. Yeah, he Jeff ignored him last week, man. Toby Keith and Fargo at ringside. Will Scott Hall be able to take advantage? What is this? What is this? What is Toby Keith in the ring? What is he? That's the great equalizer is what that is. That's a great disqualification. Now you can't just do it. So can he aid your milk and it's double team move on Jarrett. Where is the cover slip Johnson in two? Why is that holding the bet? He's the biggest load of crap. I am everything. So we can just keep right there in Mark Johnson. It's done. Two top contenders, Ken Shamrock and Scott Hall. 
It wasn't the longest run in TNA, but Scott Hall was there and had some interesting matches there uh, under TNA at the time. If you just do one Google search for YouTube, you could be able to find a Scott Hall shoot interview. He did a ton of shoot interviews talking about his career. And I want to point out here also in this podcast that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they both were great businessmen. For years, promoters have been getting over on wrestlers. Like Promoters will say, well, here, here's a match or here's an opportunity or you can be able to get the belts, all this, right? You know the promoter is always going to pocket most of the cash. But there was always a way that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were able to circumvent the system, finding a way around promoters, whether it's Vince McMahon or Eric Bischoff, especially in WCW. When we hear more and more of these shoot interviews and more and more we find out that a lot of this stuff is fact, it is amazing to me uh, how much more money that Hall and Nash were able to get, especially from WCW. (laughs) They leave the WWE and they're looking for more opportunities and less dates, less dates to work. They weren't going around 300 days a year like the WWE guys were. They were seasoned veterans, not only in the ring, but also out of the ring as far as negotiations. Here's Kevin Nash and Scott Hall on RF video saying that Bret Hart caused Kevin Nash to leave the WWE and just talking about business. Listen. What do you remember wearing this shirt? I remember talking to Kevin about Kevin and I'm leaving. And he went, I'm staying. That was before you had that match with Brett and the cage when Taker came up to the Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. I was going to stay in it. We had the match. Um, it was like an in-your-house. I think it was in Louisville. And um, I had, at the Royal Rumble, um, Taker had uh, Brett beat. And I fucked him. So then... Taker came back in the next one, and I should have had. What I want to do is have to go ahead and, the cage, and po- yeah, powerbomb Brett as I walk to go open the cage. Have Taker grab me and pull me in. But he came up from underneath. Yeah, we, right. He came, but but he, you know, Brett wouldn't let me stick him with my finish to where it would have been a clear win for me. And because, but it would have it would have taken me and Mark's angle to the next level because I would cost him the championship. He would have cost me the championship. We were talking about doing business because we knew at this point we were going to be co-main event at WrestleMania 12. And uh, Brett was already going to be in the main event, and Brett always already had the angle with, with Sean because they were going 60 minutes. And Brett just fucking boo-boo face, boo-boo face. We're sitting in this room, and he goes, and Brett kept going, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And fucking Taker, who never, never really goes off, goes, motherfucker, this isn't about you. It's about me and Cap. It makes our match better. I don't want to do it. So I, you know, and I, we just went back and forth. I walked right down. He was standing by the Scott was standing by the apron. I walked right down. I said, "I'm fucking out of here. Tell Bischoff I'm coming too." Because <laughs> then I <went>. <laughs> <laughs> Just by coincidence, our contracts ended within a days. Yeah, well, I think we we're 13 days apart. But I had been there a couple of years, or a year or so before. But then I remember going. And you have this contract with WCW that's private, can't show us any confidence. So I went, well, if you go, and then I had this favorite nations clause where they said, this is all we can afford, this is it. Well, you won't mind putting that in writing, then we, uh, so if anybody else comes in and gets paid more and gets more perks, you, I, you get a match it, right? So then they said, well, listen, we can't do anybody. Listen, 10 guys, top 10 guys in the business, you think. All right. So Kevin's one of my guys. So I said, Jeff, this is what I'm getting. If you come in, try to get more, get more. <laughs> so, so we went in, and then yeah, that it was a situation.
situation where then we, we came in and got over and then we fucking, like, we, re- we renegotiated on them, I think, twice the first six months. Right. I think it was three times altogether in 18. Yeah. Because when they wanted to hire Brett, they came to us again, remember? Yeah. And, and Brett wanted big money. They said they had to pay us. And we called him. Yeah. That's the time he did <laughs> Yeah. We said, fucking do it, dude, because we're going to become richer. <laughs> I didn't... When I took the deal with WCW, I remember the last show for Vince was at Madison Square Garden, a famous swoo where we got in trouble and broke kayfabe. Um, I really felt like I was just getting the money. I had no idea that NWO thing was going to blow up like it is. I had no idea we were even doing NWO. I hadn't talked to Bischoff at all. I'd all been through lawyers and agents. And, you know, I met him. He, I drove to Macon from Atlanta with, in, in the car with him. When you pitched the idea to you guys, did you guys think in the back of your heads that it was going to get over as well as it did? He pitched to me and uh, he came, Kev came up with the finish and bashed the beast yeah. and made it so hot. And Hulk messed up the finish really, um, a little bit. And we never got the one, two, three. Right. But, <coughs> but the other man, it was yeah. sweet. Yeah, because they, they, they didn't have a third man. And I pitched the idea. I said, I, I called him. I said, what if we did this? And he said, oh, fuck. He said, that's money. So I pitched to Eric, and he pitched it to Hulk. He said, you want to Hulk, but Hulk ain't about that fucking money train leave without him got the fucking seat on it. So, uh, but when Eric came to my house uh, and pitched me the NWO idea, I saw that. Like, I still got that basketball <laughs> It was more of a twist. Um... He came to my crib and we went to went out to a strip club and uh, he, he, no the uh, I was up in Phoenix and it was the uh, Bourbon Street Circus out in Phoenix and uh, he pitched the idea to me and I thought in my mind I thought like yeah that'll work because it's going to look like we came over from you know from Vince's TV I mean that's gonna, you know it's really going to work and I'm thinking in my mind I'm thinking fuck legally can we do that which I. Obviously, you couldn't. I remember the, the, first TV, the first TV I was on, Bischoff was just going to send me down the aisle and have me go and do an interview, like, like I worked for WCW. It was Larry Zabisco's idea to send me through the crowd and interrupt the match, but not interrupted by jumping the guys, just walk in and start talking and have the two guys work and go, Oh, hey, Scott, what are you doing? We're having a match. No, this is, this is more important. And I know that they're not going to jump me because they're not supposed to. Right. So I just go and start talking. I don't even look at them. That was all Zabisco's idea. I, think, I thought that was crucial because that very crucial. That hadn't been done. <laughs> Master manipulators, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. It's amazing. Also, if you are able to go through some of these shoot interviews, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the outsiders, are doing a number of these. But you just heard right there from RF Video how ideas should come from management, but sometimes it comes from wrestlers. And it's always good when they have their own ideas. Could you imagine, if you recall, and we played it earlier here in the podcast, could you imagine just Scott Hall just coming down the aisle and just taking over the ring as it starts talking? Well, that would make sense because if he came from the back, like, why would someone from the outside come from the back? He came from the stands and took the mic and just started talking. If he's going to take over the show, that makes more sense. But Bischoff, his idea was just to come down the aisle and just start talking. Larry Zabisco, a color analyst and who worked for WCW at the time, said, no, I have a better idea. Razor Ramon, uh, better known as Scott Hall, 
just comes out of the stands and just starts talking. And Scott mentioned it right there. It's just, it's amazing how these ideas manifest itself. Bret Hart comes up with the ladder match for Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon in the WWE. It's just, I just, I'm fascinated by the behind the scenes and how these things manifest itself, how these ideas come to fruition. So I thought that that's really good. Again, you can go on YouTube and find so many of these shoot interviews. The the wrestling mind, the business mind of Scott Hall it resonates with me a lot. Finally, I want to go and talk about the Hall of Fame speech because Scott Hall was a two-time WWE Hall of Famer as Razor Ramon and also part of the uh, the NWO, which I thought was really cool. What a life that he lived. And just to know that I watched someone from the beginning like Scott Hall, to, what, to know that I saw him in his infancy as a enhancement talent with the NWA in the mid-80s to being with the AWA and then reading about him in the magazines and some of the territories before he can really find himself, find his character as Razor Ramon, and then being able to reinvent with the NWO and then reinvent again with TNA and just to be around after the drugs and alcohol and all the abuse that he went through to also reinvent himself, to be clear-minded and to work with Diamond Dallas Page. And it's unfortunate that he passed away. But think about Scott Hall. The thing I'll always remember about Scott Hall is that Scott Hall made being bad cool. And I think that it was the right time for Scott to be able to do that. You started seeing a little bit of that with a diamond stud a little bit. But definitely when you saw him as Razor Ramon, people wanted to have that gold. They People wanted to be around him. People that never saw him in the territories thought he was uh, Latin American. <laughs> they thought that he actually was from Miami when those vignettes were actually shot uh, in Connecticut. Um and to watch how he was able to go from babyface to heel uh, and then back to babyface and then go to WCW and be a cool heel. I mean, again, very few were able to do that in the business. And Scott Hall, along with Kevin Nash, were able to do that. Rest in peace to the bad guy, Scott Hall. Uh, one of a kind and quite the talent in professional wrestling. If you asked Razor how he was doing, the standard response was, better than you, Chico. I learned that when I stepped through that curtain, that I could have a relationship as a performer with an audience. And it was a powerful thing to me, whether I was the hated villain or the beloved hero. And that was something that I've always treasured. So thank you to all the wrestling fans here. And all the fans watching around the world. off. Dreams come true. 
Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Realize that they make a commercial with a stick man. And 
is Peach Spice. I said, people all over the world know who that is, brother. Yeah. And I said, you're, you don't even know how cool you are, Mike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that guy, I mean, man. Imagine me, my first angle for Vince is against Randy. Yeah. And I'm doing interviews with him, with me and Gene. Mach has these crazy baseball, I mean, cowboy hat on, and shades, so I can't see his eyes, and I'm so effing nervous, my first big time angle, you know? Yeah. And, and he's spinning around, yeah, he's spinning around, there's Gene Oakland, and there's Macho, like, what the f*** am I doing out here? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy, man. Right? going to get exposed. I saw you wrestle him at the Long Beach uh, Convention Center, like, back in 93. Yeah, we did like, t- it was a TV tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was going into WrestleMania 9. Yeah. It was going, like, in a, they, you were there for, like, eight hours, you know? Oh, yeah. I think you might have wrestled Crush, too, or something like that. Probably something brutal. That was when Conan came in. Yeah. We were going to make him Max Moon. I remember that. Yeah. They made it. They gave him, they brought in his own luchador to work with and stuff. Uh-huh. He, if you don't come in the door the right way, you get chewed up by the other boys. So he gave him a little bit of attitude. Do you have any cool uh, Owen Hart stories? Um, I knew Owen. I used to live next to him. We had trailers side by side in Germany. Uh-huh. For auto bonds and CWA. Awesome. He was one of the best rivers in our business. I saw Owen and Lex wrestling some little spot show in Canada, some little nothing happened in town. And Lex is with Owen, you know, the head and the turnbuckle thing? Yeah, yeah. Owen took 50. 50 of them? 50. Because really? He goes, 7, 8, 9, 10, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it was like, 27, 30, 40. <laughs> Hey, so what's up with the Hall of Fame, Scott? It's a word around the campfire. Until you walk across the stage and actually get that ring. You never know, right? Yeah. Like one time, uh, the Rockers beat the Heart Foundation for the tag belts. Yeah. On Saturday night, main event. Yeah, with the pole bull and all that. But the, the ring rope broke. Yeah. So they can't show it, so they didn't show it, and then they never won the belts. Yeah. Remember at WrestleMania 9 when you wrestled Bob Backlund? Yeah. Uh, he tried to do like some shoot bull on you and you like. Well, he, he, would, he didn't want to take the race for that. Oh, really? So Vince said, listen, just beat him with the small yeah. back. So it was so stupid. I, I'm supposed to be the street fighter and I out wrestled the All American guy. Yeah. But after that, Vince said, that's it. We're trying to make Because really? it was talented. He was trying to get with me, you know? Yeah, because you, you were like one of the best characters, you know? And, so uh, that's when they did the angle with kids. One of my my favorite um like sweet ass pictures. Yeah, dude, that's badass. That's badass. Yeah, like that. Well, these my, my favorite angle or one of my favorite angles that you did as uh, Razor Ramon was with Bret Hart. Remember, like Bret Royal Rumble '93. Yeah, that shit was sweet tight. Into that, man. Yeah, I, I was watching it yesterday when you were like, "Hey, yo, Hitman, get some sleep, man, because you're gonna need it. I'll see you tomorrow, eh?" You want what is this say? In the ring. That was like one of my favorite like moments ever. That NWO coming back. Yeah, it just Vince uh, changed the finish. You know, he, yeah. We were supposed to beat Austin. Uh-huh. And the 
night before he calls us to be to his room with Kevin Hall, he goes, no, I just want to go over the finish. And he changed it. It's like, yeah, whatever, man. Really? I looked at Kevin Hall and said, meet you in the bar. That's cool, dude. I've been being a good boy up to then. Uh, he never changed it the night before, like, oh, Austin's going over because he bitches at the 